verses 22-41. But if you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments that the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by Moses, from the day that the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations, then if it was done unintentionally without the knowledge of the congregation, all of the congregation shall offer one bull from the herd for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, with its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the rule, and one male goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the people of Israel, and they shall be forgiven, because it was a mistake. And they have brought their offering, a food offering to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their mistake. And all the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven. And the stranger who sojourns among them, because the whole population was involved in the mistake. If one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat, a year old, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake, when he sins unintentionally, to make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the people of Israel, and for the stranger who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off, his iniquity shall be on him. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord, for all of your word. And we pray and ask that you will bless Jonathan as he shares with us from this particular word. Um, just what you want us to hear and know, Lord, and we pray that you would um, that you would remind us, God, of your commandments to us, that we would be um, committed to you, Lord, and committed to following your ways, God, and that that would always be in our heart, Lord, and we um, ask you to bless this, the rest of this day. Um, with us together and wherever we are. And bless those that are at home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. So repentance restores our souls before a holy God. 
So coming, turning to God, turning away from sin actually brings restoration to our souls before this God that is holy. Now, last Sunday we had common table where we all bring lightly used items to share with one another and our neighboring church and churches to some extent. And then all that remains is donated to those in need in our community. And one of you brought a labyrinth game to Common Table, and Ewan brought it home. Now, this is one of these games that has holes through it and a a table that goes up and down, and you have to get a marble around that labyrinth, that maze, before it falls into the holes. And if you're skilled enough, you can get all the way through and win, but there's racking up of points along the way as you play this game. And Ewan has been playing this game then all week. And while he was playing early, I think even on Sunday, he exclaimed that this is the farthest I have made it without accidentally cheating. Right? And they, they, like you, it gave me a laugh too. And I had to have him explain to me what he meant by accidentally cheating. And he explained that sometimes the marble might jump ahead without any actual Um, decision or action by the player. It would go the other way, and that just happened to be further than he had planned for the marble to go. So it's a mistake, but it's a bit of gaming of the system of the game to claim a higher score. So in his head, then all week, he has the, the cheating score that he has scored and the honest score. And I'm glad to report that Ewan's ingrained honor and knowledge of what is right and just led him to recognize the unearned advantage that the accidental cheating had given him. Right? So proof that either I'm raising a good child or he was the one that was born not depraved. So, all right, Stacy's raising a good child. But that little exchange with you and made me think of other games that when we start to learn them or you're playing them for the first time, you don't fully understand the rules if you're played one of those games. And in learning to play, you might unintentionally violate the rules of the game and somehow get ahead by mistake, right? And in the Schrader home, there is grace for that because we're often, we're like one of those families, everybody but Ewan. Ewan wants to read the whole instruction list before we play. And we're all like, well, let's just start playing. We'll figure it out as we go. And that's how we live life and maybe even my own Christianity. So that tells a lot of my story. But the exchange also reminded me of a time that I, as the good father I am, cheated intentionally when playing a board game with my children. We're playing Monopoly, House Divided. You know, Ewan collects all these Monopoly games, and there's one called House Divided, and it's essentially about politics, and you get points and power by collecting states. Instead of properties, you're winning states, and then maybe you can win the White House if you get enough states, and you can get the electoral votes to win. And you should know that I won by stealing Texas. And they didn't even know, Right? And sure, I was teaching kids how corrupt politics is by making that decision. But I was cheating. I was defiant. I knew the rules, and I was ignoring them to my advantage. And they still don't trust me to this day. Every time we play a game, and I get ahead, they're like, you cheated. You know, it's like, no, no, I didn't. And I quickly came clean, repenting of my cheating. But that memory of it still lingers for them as we play and for me and I have to like prove I'm not cheating every time we play a new game 
In, where in our experience, uh, the world, our flesh, and the devil say, just go ahead and get yours, cheat, lie, steal, oppress, harm others. There's actually another way that invites us to come clean and to be made clean. And we see it on display and pointed to in our text today. And that's what I hope we'll uncover as we think through the giving of the rule, the expression of the rule, and then the call to reminder that is here. And we're in the midst of this study of um, numbers is a little series, and we have come along a series of chapters that are highlighting the rebellion of the people. This is the second year they've been in the wilderness, been brought out of slavery from Egypt, and now they're moving on from Sinai, the place where they were given the law and are headed toward the promised land, that which God said, I will give to you now that you are free from slavery. We just see, as we have in the last few weeks, the disobedience to God's way from the people. We saw refusal to go into the land by the spies and the leaders of the tribes. Rejection of the leader that God had put into place. We've seen grumbling about provision of the food that God provided. And it's all happening while hinting that going back into slavery would be so much better than what we're experiencing in this moment. These verses that we have here are part of the flow of this larger story of God's people in the wilderness. And they have to be read as such. It could be so easy just to approach this section of Scripture and be completely confused as to what is happening, but we have to read it within the context of this missional movement of God choosing a people and bringing them eventually to a place for His glory and their good. Just alone here, what transpires can be a little jarring, but when we see it in light of the whole story, we see a God that is actually gracious, who forgives and calls his people to remember his way. So just two key points this morning, repentance and remembering. And so for repentance, we're going to draw some sticks, right? These are awful sticks. Bad drawing of sticks, but you get the idea. And you're not supposed to pick these up. On the Sabbath, yeah, pick up the sticks six days of the week, but on that seventh. Thank you for the clarification. Sticks are not bad in general, by the way. <laughs> it's good to clarify early. Thank you, Becca. She's telling her friends, come to this church, he's all about grace. And they're like, never pick up a stick. <laughs> right. So repentance. So this chapter of Numbers has already outlined sacrifices that were to be made in the future when the people actually came into the promised land. And when they were there, they would extend, you know, they'd own the land, then they extend back to God joyously. These fellowship offerings, these praise offerings to him, expressing their commitment to the covenant that he had established with them. And it was a generous giving back of what they had received with God. And that's where we were last week, and we talked about that. And it was good, this opportunity to worship God with all that He has given us. And now, in the second half of the chapter, God speaks of sin offerings, sacrifices that would expiate or remove the sin from the people, granting them forgiveness. And you notice it right off the bat if you sin by mistake, here is the way of 
forgiveness. And the narrator tells us, if as a community you fail to keep any of the commands that the Lord gave to Moses that are done unintentionally without the community knowing about it, then the whole congregation corporately was to offer a burnt offering plus one male goat as a sin offering. And individuals who sinned unintentionally would bring a female goat as an offering. It's all laid out there, described how you were to do this offering. It's communicating again the guidelines that were given when the law was originally given that we see in Leviticus 4 and 5. And it matches right here that unintentional sins of the congregation, of leaders, of priests, and individuals. There is a sacrifice for that. And some of the examples from Leviticus, there's failing to give testimony when you witness something that happens that is bad. Like that can be forgiven because it's unintentional or touching something unclean by accident or without knowing it. A dead person just falls on you. It's the best example. Or other unclean things. Like like you didn't know it was unclean. You didn't mean to interact with it. But then you became unclean and you had to repent of that. Provide an offering and you could be made whole again. It's not realizing the actions were violating the law. And then when you felt the guilt of it, they would come in repentance with this offering. And God said, the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the people of Israel and they shall be forgiven because it was a mistake and they had brought their offering a food offering to the Lord and their sin offering before the Lord for their mistake. Well, that, that picture that atonement needs to take place and then in that atonement relationship with God is restored. And so as we think of these sacrifices, what did they indicate for us? In 2023, is modern day believers in Christ. And at first we just see that sin is in fact serious. That disobedience here by God's people is not taken lightly and requires action to be made right. And it applies to all of humanity for disregarding God, for who he is and what he has called us to live by. We are actually designed for relationship with our creator. Our souls yearn for it, but we continue to get in the way by thinking we are God. We continue to, as God says, run after our own heart and our own eyes. Because he is holy, because he is perfect, so unique and so other, sin cannot remain in his presence. And it's difficult to explain the holiness of God. And I appreciate A.W. Tozer in the knowledge of the holy. He says this, neither the writer nor the reader of these words is qualified to appreciate the holiness of God. Quite literally, a new channel must be cut through the desert of our minds to allow the sweet waters of truth that will heal our great sickness to flow in. We cannot grasp the truth, the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising the concept to the highest degree we are capable of. God's holiness is not simply the best we know infinitely bettered. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands up part unique unapproachable incomprehensible and unattainable holy is the way god is and to be holy he does not conform to a standard he is the standard 
far beyond us, yet still chooses a people and says, I'm going to paint a picture for all of existence to see what it is like to dwell in relationship with the God who is holy, who created all things and is above all things. And he's the standard we are supposed to conform to. And his people are meant to model that for all people. When we refuse to follow his way to see him as God, we sin. And we are swimming in a culture that doesn't like to talk about sin. I don't know how many settings in Christian settings that I've been in like, oh, you can't use that word. You know, brokenness is better. Yeah, there's brokenness, but there's sin. There's making a decision to turn from God and his way. I think we don't like talking about it because it makes us uncomfortable, right? We've maybe had that bright, shiny moment in the light, and then we come into the experience of darkness where like, it's, it's extra dark now. And that's uncomfortable. And I think, though, flourishing might actually be found embracing the uncomfort of recognizing sin. A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine who used to be a pastor. Now he, he like pilots yachts. So talk about a transition, right? Uh, always navigating the rough waters of souls or something. I don't know. There could be something. But Dwayne had to have uh, spine surgery, very significant surgery. Young guy, he's like my age, but lived a very hard-charging life. And he had what was essentially a degenerative condition that would have eventually led to the loss of use of his right leg. Like if it wasn't corrected, it would just kill all the nerves and it would have not been good for him. So he had surgery to fix all the crushed discs and then pin the places, uh, his bone into place so it wouldn't rehappen or anything like that. Some of us have familiar experience with corrective spinal surgery, right? And as I've reflected on his experience, it's certainly painful, certainly uncomfortable to go through and the recovery period will be long and hard but left alone it would have been far worse for him i think that's a lot like our experience with dealing with sin if we get through the uncomfortable phase of owning it and surrendering it before christ then we get to health and life but if we let it fester and exist and we continue to turn away from the grace of god it ruins us One writer says, until we deal with God as he really is, we cannot begin to enter a relationship with him. Paradoxically, the more we deal with God as he really is, the more we find that he is exactly the God whom we need. After all, he is the one who created us in the first place with just such a relationship in mind. So he's holy, he's far beyond our imagining, and he wants to be in relationship with him you so sin is serious it gets in the way of that relationship but it can be repaired with the shedding of blood just paints a picture of the severity of it from the garden in the first moments when sin entered into humanity's story blood is shed to cover those that were naked and here the instruction is given for sin offerings blood to remove the sin of the people. So sin is serious. Don't negate that reality for a second in your life, but this account also indicates to us that God is merciful and gracious. 
Because here he's given the opportunity to the people to repent and receive atonement. And some of, you know, many of us in our small groups were reading through the Old Testament in a year. And even at small group on Tuesday, we were talking about Solomon's prayer when he is uh, essentially anointing the temple. And he prays this prayer and it's almost like a, a future telling prayer of like when the people turn from you and are carted off, like when they come to their senses, when they turn back to you, forgive them. So it's the model that's established in the wilderness that's expressed by Solomon in the presentation of the temple. And it's something for us too. When you come to your senses, you recognize sin and you approach a God that is merciful and gracious. Leviticus says that when the people realize their guilt, that they are to come and make things right. So repentance, the word in Greek is metanoia, which is essentially like a changing of our minds, realizing the wrong and turning from it. Alan Hirsch says it's a paradigm shift, like a different way of living. And it is because you're living his way. And before our text, it was the promise of the land that remained for the people. That was grace for them. And the mercy of sacrifice here is given as a way to stay in relationship with God. So the promise still remains. You still keep going on this journey and know that there will be mercy for you even when you sin. The text not only tells us that sin is serious, that God is a God of mercy and Grace, but it shows us that Yahweh is a God of justice. And, and this, is the, this is the hard part for, for me. I, maybe it's not for you. But anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel because they have despised the Lord's word and broken his commands. They must surely be cut off. Their guilt remains on them. The ESV says when you, when you sin with a high hand in rejection and defiance to God's law, that is sinning with no guilt and sinning unrepentantly. One commentary says in the textual backdrop of Israel's rejection of God in the promised land, the matter of willful defiance of God's word is raised. And when a person acted defiantly in breaking the covenant relationship, that person blasphemed the Lord and defamed his righteous reputation. And the penalty was either capital punishment, death, or permanent banishment from the community of faith. And then in our text, from that description, if you sin with a high hand, you need to be cut off becomes the immediate example of such disobedience. We see the Sabbath breaker is executed. Gathering sticks in violation of the Sabbath when no work was to be done. When you were not to light a fire on the Sabbath, this guy is defiantly going to pick up sticks to prepare a fire. And he's killed. The, the people knew that he had to be cut off, but they didn't know exactly the method. And they go to the Lord and the Lord told them to stone him outside the camp. And they did. It's like he's just violating Sabbath. Like, shouldn't there be a couple more? Actually, Kennedy just brought two goats. I'm talking to Lawrence this week about it. And he, 
he asked the question, if he had repented, would he still have been executed? And given the guidance of Leviticus, no. If he had repented of it, that's when there's the opportunity for atonement. But the sinner with a high hand feels no guilt. Therefore, the offense is not sacrificially expiable. It can't be removed or taken from them. The one who sins defiantly may not feel the guilt of his violation, but he is nonetheless guilty before God and man. A gross sinner who repents is welcomed in, while others who have committed apparently much less serious crimes but have hardened their hearts against God and remain defiant are cut off forever. There is no sacrifice possible to atone for such a spirit. I've been unsettled by this all week. I just spent the time in studying and in prayer wondering if this is just too harsh of God. Is it just too arbitrary that this guy is singled out and executed for grabbing sticks? I don't even know the reason why he was doing it, but he was doing it in opposition, knowingly to what God had said could be done. And that's when I began to lament a little bit that I have this ethos of preaching through all of Scripture. It's like, maybe we'll just go topical for the next 10 years. That'll really do it, right? And, and then I was struck with the, just the reality that why was I okay with last week's section of Scripture when the fearfully disobedient spies are struck down with a plague as punishment, but this stick picker bothers me. And I think it's because I don't see myself as a leader of a rebellion, but I see myself merely as a stick picker. Knowing what's right, still seeing no harm in pursuing what my own heart inclines me toward. Right? We all experience stuff like that. Attitudes that I hold that reveal misplaced hopes, eyes that wander my heart that wanders from what I am called to be faithful to, devaluing other image bearers, anger. And you can label your own sticks. You, you know what they are. But it's still defiance. It's still rejection of God's way, however subtle it might be. One Presbyterian minister says, much of our sin falls either under the category of carelessness or acts of passion. In most cases, we didn't set out with the intent of saying a cruel word or hitting that annoying person or thinking proud and lustful thoughts. In one sense, it just happened. It's a careless act of thoughtlessness. Other sins could be characterized as temporary spiritual insanity. These sins flow out of the war that goes on inside of us between our sinful natures and our transformed hearts. This is the conflict that Paul describes in Romans 7 that Lawrence read for us this morning, where we see that we find ourselves doing what we do not want to do because of the continuing power of the sinful nature. And as long as we continue to inhabit our earthly bodies, we find ourselves repeatedly overpowered by his sinful natures, carried away into sin. Now, none of these causes of sin release us from the responsibility of our actions. We are responsible for our careless thoughts and our sins of reaction, just as we would be responsible if we drove without due care and attention or in the heat of the moment picked up a baseball bat and hit someone with it. Sin is still sin, whatever its source. Think of it, and I come to a text like this, and it just leaves me looking for a lamb to offer in the hope of atonement. 
I think that that's the point of the law, isn't it? That we are supposed to recognize our need for something more, for a sacrifice that will finally fully satisfy, that's meant to be the result. God's justice incites us to run after his mercy. And the system, the sacrifices, even the experience of atonement for the people that have committed unintentional sins is all pointing to something more, something to come. Israel is learning all of this in the wilderness so that they will hunger for the Savior that is still to come. And it's for all people. We know what Paul writes in Romans 3, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all were made for more than falling short. One writer says, fellowship with the holy God is only possible if our sins are atoned for. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In order for us to be reconciled to God, therefore, the blood of a perfect sacrifice had to be offered in our place. And the sin offerings of the Old Testament were pictures preparing God's people for the cross. All of the blood of bulls and goats shed under the Old Covenant pointed forward to the final perfect sacrifice by which Jesus atoned once and for all for the sins of all all his people. He is the sufficient sacrifice. The invitation to life with him is then repent and believe. Turn from that which is opposed to God, that disregards God, that calls you to follow the world, the flesh, and the devil, and instead turn to Christ and believe that his work on the cross was for you. Run to Jesus, where atonement has been made and forgiveness is found. And because we believe in Christ, in him now, all sin, intentional and unintentional, is dealt with. It's taken by Jesus, and we are free of it. Jesus starts his ministry and says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom. That there is a king willing to sacrifice himself to take on all of your sin. Become sin so that in him you may become the righteousness of God. And his grace is now the banner we live under. Forgiven. Free. So we keep coming in repentance the answer to the condemnation the devil tries to bring on us because we know in Christ there is no condemnation for us. We keep repenting as the application of that forgiveness. I was hanging out with some Catholics this week and uh, I always make Reformation jokes when I hang out with Catholics because I always hang out with like evangelical Catholics and uh, the I was going to say something about the archbishop of the local diocese, is tremendously liberal in San Diego. But you should know not all the priests of local parishes are. And I've made the joke that, well, if you want to write, you know, just a list of things you have a problem with him and maybe nail it to the church door, I'll help you. Right. And they laugh. It's always funny. But Martin Luther, the first thesis that is put on the door is when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent. He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. This is just how we live. We consistently and constantly turn from what our hearts, the corrupt version of our heart says is right. And we should go after and we say, no, we choose what Christ says about us. 
So no longer offering goats, but because the lamb was slain, bringing our whole selves to Jesus for the application of his grace and forgiveness. And it is as simple as praying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it is as, it is as profound as a paradigm of life shifting to match his way instead of the way of the world. Because you're in Christ, no longer bound to sin, but you were raised to life with him. And Paul will write in, in Romans 6, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And Numbers 15 is just a piece of the story leading to this very real promise of perfect atonement, life with Jesus now and forevermore. We're given grace. When we see these sacrifices, that's where our hearts and minds should go. Be like, I need a sacrifice for the intentional and the unintentional. And it's been provided in Christ. And then God calls his people to remember. He says, here's how you receive atonement. Oh, and remember my way. And so we get remember. Let's make. How do we do remember, Bill? Okay, let's uh, do a person. I'm just giving them snake eyes. That's weird. Okay, it, they're not too. They're, okay, whatever. <laughs> and then they're remembering. And what should they remember? The cross. Right? Okay, you get it? It's like an eye patch, like, ah! This is a pirate remembering. It's the, we've come to love these ridiculous drawings. Okay, even with atonement, we are still called to obedience. Do we get that? They're like That forgiveness and freedom, you're called to a life. He continues to invite you into his way. And a relationship with God by grace does not eliminate the need for obedience, but rather it forms the foundation for obedience. It gives us the power to live in his way and forgiveness all along the way when we miss it. And the chapter here closes with instructions for tassels as reminders of God's commands. He says, you will have tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the, after the lust of your own heart and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God, to be set apart to God because you've remembered his law, his way. Couldn't help but think of the woman with the issue of blood that she came to touch Jesus's robe and what she touched was the tassels of his robe, the reminders of his way of the law. And here is the one that will complete the law and she's forgiven and healed in that moment. It's worth remembering that we are called to be set apart because he is the God that saves. And he tells them, I am the Lord, your God. I'm Yahweh, your God. I'm the one who rescued you. So the blue threads reminded the Israelites that they were a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. And this meant that they had to remember and do 
all of God's commands. And in particular, they had to avoid the mistake of the spies of following after their own hearts. And there is a play on words with the expression to follow because the verb that is used there is both used for to spy and to follow. And it alludes then to the danger found in following their own whims rather than being absolutely loyal to the divine covenant. He's just calling his people like, remember my word, remember my declaration in a huge way. Remember, I've made a promise. I'm delivering you to this place. Live to that. And friends, in Christ, we don't wear tassels. We don't need a a necklace or a tattoo, even though it's fine to do, right? Kind of rhymes. You can... Do whatever you want to remember the goodness of Christ. But we start with his word, right? It's why we're anchored in the word. It reveals our reality and his grace for us. It shows us his commands for life in the kingdom so we know how to play the game. And greatest of all, it holds the words of his gospel, the power of God for salvation for all who believe. It presents Jesus as the pleasing aroma to the Father, welcomed in and given life in him are all who believe in him. And then with his word, we have each other to declare the grace of Christ to one another, to hold up his love for us until we finally see it and live from it, preaching the gospel to ourselves and to each other every day. The only one of Luther's thesis that he put on the door that I've memorized is the first one. All of life is repentance. But number 45 said this, the highest of all God's command is this, that we ever hold up before our eyes the image of his dear son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He must daily be to our hearts the perfect mirror in which we behold how much God loves us and how well in his infinite goodness as a faithful God he has grandly cared for us in that he gave his dear son for us. Do not let this mirror and throne of grace be torn away from before your eyes. And it can't be innovated beyond the grace of Christ. His finished work on the cross. And it's for all of life, delivering the restoration that we need because it makes us human again. We hear this exhortation from Peter in his letter to the churches. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest manifest in the last times, 
for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The work of Christ was accomplished on the cross when he declared it is finished. It truly was. And this is then for us the fuel to keep fighting. To die to sin in our own lives, living in repentance and yielding to the Spirit's influence in our lives. And it's what our souls actually need to feel whole and human, cared for, chosen, set free by Christ. Repentance restores our souls before a holy God. The grace of Christ, the balm of our souls, is applied in repentance. So we walk away from this text with the call to turn to Jesus. Know that repentance is the way for your, in all your sin, intentional, unintentional, that you would turn to him once again. Have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. And then be reminded of his grace for you. He gladly, with a heart that is broken for you, extends forgiveness by his blood to you. And it's his glory alone that is your hope. Because friends, the game has been won and now we have been invited to play. May we remind each other of the grace of Christ and his call to life for his glory And for our good. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, we thank you for your word. And for the story that you are forming. Even through a disobedient people in the wilderness. Still, there is a way of grace and forgiveness. And we in this story and others recognize our need for it. And we see in Christ the satisfaction of that need. Lord, for many of us, we go through life and we've become the stick picker. Just doing things that our heart says are right or the world says are normative and your word says we should not be about. Holy Spirit, give us clarity to see the truth of the word and the truth of the way of Christ. That we would live lives that turn from those things to Jesus to experience forgiveness, freedom, and new life over and over again until we see you face to face, Lord. That your kingdom would go forth, that you would be glorified, and we would flourish in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to share.